WABC Radio is proud to celebrate 100 years. From October 1st, 1921, to music radio, to talk radio's crown jewel, worldwide and beyond. WABC And WLIRFM Hampton Bays. From around the world to around the block, this is a WABC 77 Second News Update. 64 degrees, cloudy skies, also some scattered showers in the area at 5 o'clock. 77 WC Time Check, sponsored by Boulevard Watchers. Good afternoon, I'm Bob Brown. The top five at five. President Biden says he's decided to provide the Ukrainians with more advanced rocket systems and munitions, which will enable them to more precisely strike key targets on the battlefield. Meantime, Russian state TV hosts warning Russian President Putin could destroy the east and west coasts of the United States with Saturn II missiles. President Biden and Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell planning strategy to fight inflation, but his past attempts, including oil releases from the Strategic Reserve, improving port operations and calls to investigate price gouging, have all fallen short. Jury today ruling in favor of Johnny Depp in his libel lawsuit against ex-wife Amber Heard, vindicating his stance that Heard fabricated claims that she was abused by Depp before and during their brief marriage. The jury also found in favor of Heard, who said she was defamed by Depp's lawyer when he called her abuse allegations a hoax. The nation's leading cybersecurity agency says electronic voting machines from a leading vendor used in at least 16 states have software vulnerabilities. And investigators trying to determine why an exterior door at Robb Elementary School did not lock when it was closed before a gunman used it to get inside and kill 19 students and two teachers. Cassette Night up next. Rangers game one tonight against the Lightning at the Garden. Mets beat the Nationals 5-0. Yanks host the Angels. Your forecast on the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center tonight. Cloudy chance of scattered showers. Lows in low 60s Thursday. Partly sunny. Still chance of showers high near 82. Cloudy and scattered showers outside the Midtown Manhattan Studios. 77 WC Time Check 502 is sponsored by Boulevard Watches. Discover finely crafted timepieces available at Macy's. I'm Bob Brown. Traffic and transit next. Remember, the news never stops at WABCRadio.com. WABC Traffic and Transit. GWB inbound upper okay, lower okay, outbound heavy. Lincoln inbound 5 to 10, outbound 20 to 30. Holland inbound okay for the turnpike 5 to 10 from Route 109, outbound 30 to 40 minute delays. I'm Bob Brown with your 77 WABC Traffic and Transit update. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is 5 o'clock, uh, the number one show at, uh, of the 5 o'clock news. And uh, John Katsimatidis here, Cats at Night. And this is a TriCast, WABC uh, Radio 770 from Midtown. And uh, WLIR from Long Island. And 9.70 a.m., The Answer. And in the studio with us, we have uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, uh, former Congressman uh, uh, Peter King, and uh, and my sidekick, Lydia Serrani. Lydia, what's going on? We have a fantastic show for everyone tonight. We're going to be speaking with Andrew McCarthy, Gordon Chang, Congresswoman Nicole Meliotakis, New York City Councilwoman Ina Vernikoff, Angelo Vivolo, and J.P. Miller of the Empire Report. But first on the line is Andrew McCarthy. He's a columnist for the National Review. He also serves as an assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Uh, welcome back to Cats at Night, Mr. McCarthy. Nice to be with you. There's so many things, uh, uh, Mr. McCarthy, going on. Where the heck do you want to start? I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> Judge Weinberg, where do you think we should start? Well, Andy, I, were you surprised at the, uh, at the verdict that came out of the Sussman trial? Judge, if I could interject here, Andy, I think you predicted this, didn't you? Yeah, well, Pete, I don't think it, was, um, it wasn't rocket science, you know. At the end of last week, it really looked like the wind was blowing that way. That was the reason that uh, Sussman, who on Wednesday evening, I think, as, as court broke up, uh, was expected to testify on Thursday. Uh, and that would have been like a whole day of testimony, and then that would have pushed the trial into this week. Uh, he got uh, to court on Thursday morning and announced that he had changed his mind. And I thought it was pretty obvious that he thought things were going in his direction so that uh, it was too much of a risk at that point to to uh, 
for a defendant to testify when things are going your way and you don't have to, uh, I think would have been foolish. And he was right. Things were going his way. Um, it was a tough case for Durham. Now, you know, he obviously decided to bring the case, so uh, he, he kind of brought that on himself. But I think, you know, there's a lot of things you could say about the case. Where I come from, basically, the prosecutor's main job is to figure out what happened. And then everything you do strategically and tactically in the trial is based on your understanding of what happened. His theory, uh, John Durham's, of what happened was that the FBI was duped by Sussman. And as someone who's followed this for a very long time, my belief is that the FBI wasn't duped. I think they were more, I mean, it's, a, it's complicated, but to me, they were more of a, uh, a willing collaborator than a dupe. And I think if you base a case on something that, that uh, is dubious, you're asking for trouble. And, and I think he got it. Andy, I, I think you, I read your column, I, and I think uh, that you're right about that. Uh, the defense fundamentally was, well, they, there was no harm, no foul, because uh, they knew exactly what was going on. So what's the problem? Uh, right. though- I, I think, yeah, I, th- I think it's better. You know, the case is called false statement because that's what the, the charges in the federal code. But I think if I was trying to explain to people what happened here, I, I would say that what Sussman gave to the FBI was more of a cover story than a false statement. You know, in other words, if he had come into the FBI and said, I'm Michael Sussman of the Clinton campaign, and I'd like you to take this neato opposition research we've come up with that shows that Trump is in cahoots with uh, Russia and maybe premise a criminal investigation on it. I think the FBI would have found that to be too ostensibly political to get involved. So he comes in instead and says, you know, nod, nod, wink, wink. I'm a former federal official. I just care about the country. I'm not coming here on behalf of a client. Uh, just want to help the bureau, and then what he ends up giving them, even now, mind you, they know full well who he is and who he represents, uh, and he happens to give them six weeks before election day information that just happens to match up completely with the Democrats' theme and theory of who Trump is with respect to Russia, and you know the bureau is supposed to come away from that saying, oh well, this isn't political information at all. This is good faith information that we've gotten. And we need to investigate this. Um, so I think that's what happened. I think there's a there's another level to this, which I find is a is a former judge and, and prosecutor. Did Durham, Ver- did Durham make a mistake bringing it well, in that that's venue? A, yeah, I think this was a lot a lot about venue. I think it's a lot about the jury pool. I think it's a lot about the three people on that jury who were seated. And I think, frankly, it's a lot about the judge who wouldn't let a lot of evidence in. That was my take on it. What about you? Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of people, just so we we should clarify one thing, because I get this question all the time, and and Judge, you've probably gotten it too a couple of times, no doubt. And a lot of people want to know, why didn't Durham try to move the case out of Washington? So, you know, what people need to understand is the right to be tried in the place where the crime takes place belongs to the defendant. Not, it's an obligation of the government to bring the case there. but the, There has to be the some nexus. There has to be some nexus to the venue. That's correct. Right. So it's not, you know, Durham couldn't just, this, this false statement happened in Washington, D.C., and that was the place where Durham had to bring the, the case. Sussman could have asked to move it, but obviously he wouldn't have wanted to move it. So the case was going to be in Washington. What I was really surprised by is we, we talked a lot about the, the smoking gun text. You know, the, the uh, suspect sent a text to the guy at the FBI that he met with, which in, in his own words, flat out said, I want to bring you something sensitive. I'm not representing a client. I just want to help the bureau. There's a pretty black and white. Why didn't they um, supersede the original indictment? Because he indicted flush up against the statute of limitations. Okay. The, the meeting between these two guys took place on September 19th, 2016. The federal statute of limitation is five years on most crimes. So he had to indict this case by mid-September of last year. And when he got this text, it was about six months later. So it was too late for him to go back into the grand jury and change the charges in any way. Understood. Andrew McCarthy, just to switch gears, okay, we just had another uh, 
verdict in a high profile case. I know a lot of people don't know much about it, maybe, or they do and they don't care. And why should we care? The Johnny Depp, Amber Heard. Does this set some sort of precedent? Because oftentimes we always hear, believe the woman, believe the woman, the man is the abuser. And in this case, Johnny Depp was awarded $15 million. This makes me wonder, how about other high-profile people that have been accused, possibly falsely accused, like we saw with uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh? Could he turn around and, and sue his accuser now? Uh, you know, I, I don't know enough about it to draw any great lessons from it. It seemed like to, to me like it was a kind of a strange case, and I, I, I probably – the facts of it sound so – you know, you're dealing with two big Hollywood stars um, – you know, how much of a precedent that is for other people in, you know, libel situations. I, I, I doubt it comes up very often. They, I, I barely knew who Amber Heard was. I knew who Johnny Depp was because this is uh, this is how old we're all, uh, at least I'm getting. I feel like that, uh, you know, Johnny Depp played, uh, was Donnie Brasco in the movies. And uh, Donnie Brasco was the, the FBI undercover movie. I put the agent on the stand who was Johnny Depp <laughs> in the movies. So, oh, that's um, so cool. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I, you know, I just – I don't know enough about it to say whether it's a, whether it's a sign of the times or a, a trend changer or what. They're making – the newspapers are making such a big deal out of it and social media is making a big deal out of it. I never knew who they were talking about. Well, I, actually, I tell you, so many I, I didn't watch it, but so many people I went into watch it. Uh, they're staying home watching it on television. That's one advantage of working at home, I guess. You can watch Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, fu- the funny thing is when, when we indicted the blind check, I have a similar story to this, because when we tried the World Trade Center bombing case in 1995, you know, federal cases are not on television. So, you know, we had this case that was about like the future of civilization and the national security threats the country was going to deal with in the next 20 years. But day for day at the same time in 1995, they had this little thing going in California known as the O.J. Simpson trial that was about like <laughs> sex and drugs and race and rock and roll. And, and you know, nobody, Judge Mukasey, who tried our case, tried, I think, one of the great criminal cases uh, of all time. Oh, what a great guy everybody he is. In a, wow. yeah. But everybody in America thought the model judge was Judge Ito. No, no, he wasn't. <laughs> oh, my God. No, no he wasn't. <laughs> no, no, he wasn't. Andy, let me ask you another question. You under, you know about, the, uh, of course, the leak of the uh, draft yep. case. And now there's an internal investigation done by uh, the Supreme Court staff. Now yeah. they've asked the uh, Supreme Court law clerks to put in affidavits and turn over their records of the, their phones. What do you think about that? And and the, some of them are maybe taking independent counsel. What do you think about that? Judge, I, I continue to think what I said on the first day, and every day that we get more remote that they haven't identified the leaker, I think this will be borne out, and that is the Supreme Court police force is essentially a security force. They're not a criminal investigative force. And I'm not saying they won't try their best. I think they will try their best. But unless you get full-throated, committed assistance, in this case from the Justice Department and the FBI, to do the kind of forensic work and, and, and criminal investigation that has to be done here, you're not going to identify this leaker. It's just not going to happen. They need to get help from the Justice Department, and I think it's shameful that the Attorney General not only doesn't appear to be helping them, but won't prosecute people who – demonstrate on the lawns of the Supreme Court justices, which is just outrageous. I, I agree with that. Well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Andrew McCarthy, for uh, everything you've done for our country and continue to speak out for our country, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Andy's the best. Well, thank you, Andy. Thank you okay. so much. Pleasure to talk to you. Okay. Bye-bye. He's a great guy. Well, that's um, – see, there was a lot of mistakes, uh, a lot of mistakes. Uh, the, the fact that he had the venue or, or the location of the court action in Washington, D.C., where you're, 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 you're going against a Democrat and you have 99% Democrats. Well, but that's not – it's not a mistake. I mean, it's what, he, what Andy was no saying. Choice, yeah. is he had no choice because you have to have some operative facts that link the crime 
to to and, the venue. And the crime was committed in Washington. Yeah, that's DC, right. Yeah. You know, so if if something was done <clears throat> elsewhere, for example, in, in Philadelphia, to uh, to continue the conspiracy or to create the yeah. conspiracy, then maybe you'd have a linkage to bring it in Philadelphia. But absent some important facts that show something was done in furtherance of the bad criminal acts, you can't bring it elsewhere. And there's a lot of things happening in the world, and with us now is uh, uh, Gordon, Gordon Chang. Yep, uh, Gordon G. Yeah. Chang. And uh, Gordon Chang, are you there, sir? I am here. Well, usually I start with uh, talking to you about the Pacific because that's your expertise. What do you think of 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 the uh, Russia threatening the United States uh, today and, and saying that we're able to take out your both coasts, the East Coast and the West Coast? And what was that all about? I think that it's all about uh, Putin realizing that he's intimidated Biden in the past, so he figures he might as well continue to do this. You know, from the very beginning, um, Biden said we weren't going to do this, we weren't going to do that, and Biden talked about the possibility of a third world war. You know, that registered with uh, the Kremlin, and so Putin knows that he, whenever he says nukes, then Biden is going to push back and is going to move back. Well, uh, Gordon, it's Richard Weinberg. As reported in an editorial today in the uh, the Wall Street Journal, you also have the situation that Biden is not giving them long-range missiles. It was warned off. Well, I think think the people uh, are confused. Some some, uh, papers said they're giving them, and then some people say they're not giving them. What's the bottom line? I think what, what I've read is they're giving them Supposedly a lot, but they're not giving them anything that's capable of reaching Russia. And I think that's the key. What do you know, Gordon? Well, I know that, first of all, that Biden was going to give them long-range missiles. Then he said he wasn't going to. Now he's giving them the HIMARS system, which is longer range. But we really don't know what they're going to give them to fill those tubes. So I think, uh, as Richard has said, uh, this is still pretty much out in the open. Um, we don't know exactly what the Biden administration will provide them. But we've got to remember that uh, by not providing longer-range missiles, Biden is allowing Russia a safe haven to attack Ukraine. This is what we did in the Korean War. It was horrible then. And uh, apparently, you know, the Biden team hasn't learned. Well, if, if we do give them long-range missiles, in theory, it's an act of war. Well, it already is an act of war, what we have done. Um, so really, it's just a question of another act of war. Is it more provocative? Yes, it is more provocative. But on the other hand, um, we have seen what Putin has done to intimidate. Um, and we wouldn't have had a war if Biden wasn't intimidated in the first place. Once deterrence has failed, and it's failed on February 24th, every course of action going forward is extremely dangerous, extremely risky. So right now, we have no good options, John. Gordon, this is Pete King. Uh, is this uh, possibly what Putin is doing, though? Shows that he does want to come to the table, that he's, he figures he makes his threat, and that'll force people to the table, and he is willing to f- somehow find a way out? Or am I being too optimistic? Um, we really don't know, um, Congressman. And the reason is that uh, at this particular time, um, it's very difficult to read the Kremlin. And so, yes, I'm sure that Putin would want to hold on to his territorial gains. And he probably would be happy to stop now and keep what he has. But that would be horrible. And the reason is the Chinese will have seen this and mm-hmm. then they'll decide, <clears throat> look, we can go after India, Japan, Philippines, Taiwan, wherever – and, um, you know, Biden's not going to stop us. What is the significance of the joint military, uh, uh, military actions between Russia and China, you know, the maneuvers that they're doing together? Yeah, they've done this. Uh, they've been maneuvering together since 2005, but recently they've become much more concerning. Two things. First of all, Russian soldiers last August started using Chinese weapons for the first time, and that shows interoperability. That means these two militaries are going to want to fight together. But this last joint exercise where they both had Russian and Chinese nuclear-capable bombers fly around Japan, that really shows a degree of coordination that we have not seen in the past. Gordon Chang, um, Bill Gates, he said that the next pandemic may be the result of bioterrorism. Uh, Isn't that what COVID-19 was? Absolutely. Um, 
We don't know where SARS-CoV-2, the pathogen that causes COVID-19, came from. But we do know one thing for 100%, and that is once this disease got out into the Chinese population, um, Xi Jinping decided to spread it around the world beyond China's borders. He lied about contagiousness, and then while locking down his own country, he pressured other countries to take arrivals from China without restrictions and quarantines. Those two things, when you put them together, show that this was intentional. That means 6.3 million people around the world outside China have been murdered. Wow. Big number. Uh, anything else? What are, what are, we have a few minutes left. Uh, what else would you like to say to the American people today, this afternoon? The one thing we don't talk about, John, is the problems inside China right now. Um, the economy there is in dire straits. As Nomura, the investment bank, pointed out a couple days ago, China has an $896 billion shortfall in revenue. Now, this is a shortfall that they really can't make up because most of it's properly property-related, and the property market is in collapse. So right now, China is at the point where I think its leaders could very well be desperate, which means, of course, they can take us by surprise. Well, well, thank you so much, Gordon G. Chang. And how can everyone follow you? At Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. And I archive my articles for free at my website, www.gordonchang.com. Thank you so much, Gordon G. Chang, for all that you do and for giving us the truth. Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you. Uh, now joining us in the studio, uh, live in the studio, we have Congresswoman Nicole Malutakis. How are you, on? Uh, um, uh, Congresswoman? It's great to be with you, John, and, and I see my good friend Peter King here, who's uh, amazing and definitely missed in Congress. Um, it's good you, to be you with miss his common sense. Yeah. We, now, miss, we miss common sense. Now, in Staten Island, some interesting things happened in the last few days. Uh, you yep. want to tell all uh, New Yorkers about it? Well, I, I think uh, you guys have done a great job covering uh, what the Albany Democrats had tried to do uh, with their one-party rule here in New York, where they tried to redraw our congressional seats to give their candidates an advantage. And in my particular case, look, this is a, a the only Republican seat in New York City that we took from a Democrat in 2020. Uh, we give New York City bipartisan representation in Washington, which is so incredibly needed. And we bring a bipartisan voice here in New York City, a counter view to what the Democrats here are 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 pushing. Uh, so what they tried to do was to silence the people that I represent in Staten Island and Southern Brooklyn and to silence me because I've been holding them accountable on issues of public you, you safety and high crime. You certainly have. You've done a great job, I tell you. Really. Thank you so much, Congressman King. Um, and what they tried to do as a result was redraw the lines to give the guy I beat, the guy that people of Staten Island and Southern Brooklyn fired, Max Rose, an advantage to come back by putting his hometown of Park Slope, Brooklyn, very liberal area uh, in the district. We took it to court. Uh, actually, the constituents took it to court. Uh, they fought back and said we wanted fair elections. And that is what the people of New York State said in 2014 and this past November by ballot referendum. They said they didn't want the partisan politicians in Albany to draw the lines. They wanted it to be an independent process. And it went through to three consecutive courts. Uh, and even the Court of Appeals, which is the top court of the state that is appointed, uh, all Democrat appointees, right. by the way, they said that the, the Democrats in Albany went too far. They politically gerrymandered these maps, uh, and they did so in a very gross way that was in violation of the state constitution. You know, in a way, that was a real compliment to you. They want to do anything to get you out of Washington, the Democrats. Well, you know what? I, I, look, I, I, they don't want anyone holding them accountable. That's you, the thing. You really hold them accountable. You know, they don't want anyone, and we know that, uh, they want to go unchecked. They don't want ex anybody exposing what they're doing. And quite frankly, we've done a lot of good things uh, in Washington. I think my perspective is important because the anti-police policies that they've implemented here in New York City, they want to bring those same policies to Washington. Uh, we've been able to stop that legislation. They tried to radically change our election laws. We were able to stop that legislation. We were able to stop uh, Jerry Nadler's attempt to pack the Supreme Court. He introduced a bill. And I was the counter voice here in New York City as to why the bill was not bad. Was I mean, why it was bad. 
And the and the, the the bottom line is it's what Hugo Chavez did in Venezuela. We shouldn't be doing any, anything right. that they did in Venezuela here in the United States of America, especially undermining our Supreme Court by packing the courts so you get the desired outcome. So we were able to stop all these bad things because we we're exposing them and getting the support of the American people. Uh, and so I think it's important that New York City has more bipartisan representation, not one-party Democratic rule. And, uh, Nicole, it's very important, too, because AOC is now leading a big fight <laughs> to try to take over the state legislature and make it a much more left-wing. It's been left-wing enough, and it's caused enough harm as it is, but trying to get more people in the left-wing caucus to put more pressure on the leadership of the state assembly and state senate. That, that's absolutely right, but but you know what? We, we said we were going to go to Washington and, and take on the squad, and you know what? We, we have. AOC tried to cut defense spending by 10%, and we were able to kill that bill, that she, amendment that she put up. She tried to pass this Build Back Better disaster, which was, uh, you know, basically more would be more printing of money for more inflation, things that we can't afford. It was it was amnesty for illegal immigrants. It was uh, increased taxes on gas gas uh, and energy. It was uh, just the doubling of IRS agents and a bunch of handouts. We were able to stop that. Um, and 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 you know, again, some of those radical uh, changes that they wanted to. In terms of policing, taking away qualified immunity from our police officers, which unfortunately the city council did here in in New York City, which has tied the hands of our police, even when they're following the guidebook, they've now lost their qualified immunity. When they do everything they were trained to do in following the guidebook, they wanted to do that to every police department nationwide, and we were able to stop it. So we are taking them on. We're doing what we can. When we get the majority after November, uh, we'll have more ability to be a checks and balances on uh, the one-party rule. I'm the House Democrat, and I will tell you it's absolutely essential that we have balanced government, that you don't have supermajorities of one party. In this case, the Democratic Party. Their policy has been very detrimental to this city, this state, and this and this nation. And we need people like you and Peter King in Congress to fight the, the good fight. Nicole, what committees are you on? Uh, I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee, right. uh, and I'm also on the Transportation and Infrastructure right. Committee. Um, and, you know, they're both great committees. They're both uh, very front and center in the debate this year. As you know, um, I supported uh, investment for infrastructure. Right. We're getting about 10 percent of that funding is coming to New York. It was a very important vote. It really was, yeah. And uh, it, it was an important vote. And, but but we were able to get the infrastructure and kill the Build Back Better. Right. That's the most important thing. It was a double whammy. You right. know, we brought money home for New York that is essential to build our assets for population growth, for economic growth. To, for our GDP, it's needed across the country, especially an aging city like New York City. We're going to complete the seawall on Staten Island, which is an incredibly important infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, project for my district. We're going to hopefully be able to expand the outer bridge crossing. Uh, hopefully we're going to get the North Shore bus rapid transit. Uh, so these are all projects that are currently in the study phase, and we're very hopeful that in the next couple of years we'll start seeing question. these things. Is your opponent running or not? What's he doing? Is he in or is he out or is he? In well, I don't know. You know, I, I heard Max Rose spent the weekend talking to all the Democrats on Staten Island, saying and he that was he, out. He wanted to. He wanted to drop out of the race. He he realizes that you know not only am I uh, doing a good job, unlike unlike he he didn't do such a great job. Um, and I support our law enforcement. I'm fighting uh, these crazy policies that are increasing. Uh, costs on American families, uh, and I'm doing the right thing. We're, we're, and I, we're, assume, I assume that you never marched with Black Lives Matter either. I, I never marched. You know, and the, the funny thing is, is that to this day, why did you march if you saw the signs that said defund the police? I mean, the signs said defund and, the police. And Max Rose, and Max Rose marched, marched with them with anyway. Defund the police. He marched with them anyway, and then when they started def- chanting defund well, the maybe police. He should, maybe he should, he should uh, resign, not run. Well, you know what? Quite frankly, I think he should save the embarrassment because he's either go, he either drops out today or we're going to beat him in November. You're going to beat him by what? What did Vito win win in uh, in Staten Island? Seventy percent. You so, got to beat the seventy percent. Well, we, we're going to do our best. Feels you know, it's great. hard to compete with Vito. Yeah, right. Vito's. Uh, we got to take a break, Nicole. You're welcome to stay, or you might have an appointment, but you're welcome to stay. Let's take a break, and we're going to come back, uh, Lydia, with who? With- Councilwoman Ina Vernikoff. Oh, she is one smart lady. So let's let's take the break first. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katzimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzimatidis Cats at Night show. We still got a 
full show ahead. On the line with us right now is New York City Councilwoman Ina Vernikoff. And we're very proud of you, Councilwoman Vernikoff, because you stood up. You you stood up for what was right. We now know that you pulled your funding for CUNY Law School over their BDS endorsement. Councilwoman Vernikoff, tell us all about it. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, look, anti-Semitism and anti-Israel sentiment at CUNY University, at the City University of New York, the entire system has been going on for years and years, and it hasn't been addressed. Um, you know, students have been afraid to just simply go and study at CUNY, um, and it's gotten worse and worse. And, you know, my office has been funding the a program, a legal program at City University of New York Law School um, for 15 years because uh, my constituents, our constituents have been receiving legal services pro bono uh, from the law school and actually their services were exceptional. Um, however, in the last couple of days, we found out that the CUNY faculty and CUNY students passed a BZS resolution unanimously um, they had a speaker at their commencement ceremony who is viciously anti-Israel, viciously anti-Semitic, who has harassed students, Jewish students on campus. This is a student who received the highest honor to speak at the graduation. She received her law degree. They gave her the podium. They gave her the right to speak. Um, and I just could not, you know, in, in good conscience, continue supporting this program. Councilwoman, this is uh, former Congressman Pete King. Let me just congratulate you on the great job you've been doing. I think what you said, you know, above all the things you said, you said that basically anti-Semitism is like the one acceptable bias today. That's the one prejudice that apparently, you know, the intelligentsia feel that they're allowed to get away with. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the only politically acceptable racism today. Uh, you know, if, if she was to get up on that stage and say anything about any other minority, this would just not be okay. Uh, but when it comes to Jews, for some reason, it's totally acceptable. And I, I will not stand for it, not on my watch. Oh, Councilwoman, this is uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. I taught for many years at, uh, at CUNY Law School. I taught legislation and legislative process. And I will tell you, it was established as a public service, public interest law school. It had a great faculty. They were committed to doing good work to serve the public. But they've changed their direction. They've become very ideologically left. You're absolutely right about the anti-Semitism, and you're to be commended for your uh, your courage and uh, your leadership on on that issue, defunding them. And, and Councilwoman, this is uh, your friend, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. It's great to have you on, and I want to congratulate you too because ever since entering the council, you have been. Uh, a real firebrand. You're out there. You are fighting. You are a voice that the people of Brooklyn, quite frankly, need in the New York City Council. And so I, I, it's a pleasure to work with you. And I thank you for what you're doing here. And it's reminiscent of what the state university did when they when they allowed a cop killer, convicted cop killer, not one cops, two cops, well, not one cop, two cops to speak at SUNY Brockport. And that was uh, really an outrageous thing. And it really should make people wonder what is what is the end goal here? Why are we allowing these hateful people to come speak on our college campuses? And I, I'm, I'm sorry there hasn't been more outrage over it. And you notice that the other elected officials really remain quiet. Not many of us are out there speaking out against these uh, horrific activities that are taking place on our city and state taxpayer-funded campuses. Yeah, first of all, uh, Congresswoman, thank you. And you've been a great partner as well. Uh, we need more leadership like yourself. Um, and I mean, I've reached out to multiple uh, council members about this issue to stand with me. There are multiple council members who also fund this program and silence. You know, I was the only one. I mean, I'm happy to stand alone, but we really need more leadership. We need people with guts to be able to take decisive action against anti-Semitism. Well, Councilman, this is Pete King again. I saw you speak at the state convention. I tell you, we need more people like you and Nicole, really, in the state. People who have the guts to speak more out. More women is what you're saying. Okay, more women. Okay, you got it. That's what you wanted. Okay. <laughs> we need tough women. Well, you got them with these two, I'll tell you. Well, uh, what, else, what else is going on in Coney Island, uh, Councilwoman? Oh, everything's great at Coney Island. <laughs> 
Uh, you know what I say we, about we, Coney we, Island? We you you breathe, in, breathe in that ocean air, and you're going to live 10 years longer. Everyone's invited to the boardwalk, to the beach. We just had an opening ceremony. Uh, you know, I'm doing my thing, trying to clean up, you know, work with the NYPD, with the MTA, just trying to keep my district safe and clean for my constituents here. Well, thank you for coming on. Uh, we're going to have to go into a break. And thank you for the great job you're doing for our city. God bless you. And and uh, keep working. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Let's go to that break. And when we come back. Angelo Vivolo. Angelo, Angelo Vivolo. Representing the Italian community. And he's mad as hell. And uh, we'll see what Angelo has to say. Come, let's hit that break. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. On the line for us right now is Angelo Vivolo, and he's the sweetest guy, but he's mad as hell. He is the chairman of the Columbus Citizens Foundation. And tell us, uh, Mr. Vivolo, what is the latest? I know there's been a controversy. They're, they're not protecting the Columbus statues anymore. What's going on? Well, we haven't heard anything from the police department. I understand it may have been decided by the borough chief and didn't come from the mayor or or the police chief. I, I, I have no facts on that. That's rumor. Uh, of course, we're, we're we're not happy that they're taking away the the uh, protection. And as I said many times before, any any attack on that statue is has to be dealt with immediately and with consequences, because not only is it an attack that hurts the Italian American community that that really admires the statue and Christopher Columbus, but it also uh, shows that New York City is lawless, that we don't have any control, that we let people do things that are against all cultures. You know, when you offend one culture, you offend all cultures. So we're here to support ours, and we're here to support everyone else's. I mean, the way they attack the Columbus statue, they can attack any other statue. But we firmly believe that uh, the being in the location that it's in, I mean, uh, Columbus Circle right there uh, in the middle, right outside the park, and in a strategic place where there's a tremendous amount of tourism, it should be protected, and uh, hopefully, Angelo, we have to put our happens. foot down somewhere, and uh, you know, we got to put our foot down, and that's it. Enough is enough. Angelo, this is former yeah. Congressman Pete King. Let me first tell you how much oh, I love hey, going. Hi, Congressman King. How I love going to your restaurant. It was absolutely terrific, and it's missed. Uh, yeah. Also, you keep up this fight. I mean, whether we're Irish, Italian, Jewish, no matter what we are, we can't allow to have symbols like Christopher Columbus be desecrated, attacked. Torn down. I know I've spoken to. Who defended Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah, no, I agree. We have to all stand together on this. And I- this is uh, Angelo. It's uh, Judge Richard Weimer. This is just another example of a woke culture which wants to erase history, change, change history. If they don't like it, they eliminate it. Anybody who criticizes them or challenges them, they say that that you're a racist. There's a proud tradition of the Italian American people here. It's a wonderful group of people who've given a lot to the city, the state. And the nation, Christopher Columbus, is a symbol of that that community. It's called Columbus Circle. So what are you going to do, change the name? Once you get rid of the statue, are you allowed it to be defamed? You can take the name Columbus Circle away. And in Washington, D.C., you can take the name Washington off. And they move Teddy Roosevelt's statue. There's no such thing as a perfect historical figure. There's no such thing. They're all all flawed. The statue's been there since 1891. But as I said, uh, the, the the, the, the real offense would be to all New Yorkers. Right. Because uh, we, this city uh, is, as no secret, we have a, a, a huge crime problem, and uh, we're not going to get tourists back. We're not going to get people going back on the subways or going back to work if we don't do something about the crime. And if, and if something happens to that statue, that would be a real slap in the face, and that would that would only show others that New York is lawless, that we don't control, that we have no no respect, and uh, it's, it's just a horrible thing. And as an Italian-American, I'm especially, especially concerned about the statues and about Columbus statue and, and about all statues. Everyone should be respected. You know, the, the thing that's missing in this world today is respect, you, you know, respect for one another. And, and I really hope and pray that uh, nothing happens to that statue. But if it does, there must be consequences, must be immediate action. It can't be put under the rug and and just uh, said, well, it's another incident that happened in New York City. It just can't be. Angela Vivolo, there was a big dinner honoring you the other day. Tell us about it. <laughs> well, I was, I was one of the lucky ones. I was in Washington D.C. and the uh, 
uh, a national organization, the uh, Sons and Daughters of Italy in America, uh, honored me uh, with the leadership award in our community. But you know what? I, I got to thank you, John. You're one of the people that that comes to the forefront that talks, gives me an opportunity to speak about about Columbus and about our our, our culture and heritage. I mean, it's not only I got the award, but so many people who do as much as I do, or if not more, deserve the award. I was just the lucky one that got it this time. But uh, it's, it was a thrill. It was an honor and a, a privilege, and I, and I am most grateful for it. Well, the, uh, congratulations again, Angelo Vivolo, and thank you for standing up for all ethnics in, uh, in New York and in our country, and uh, God bless you. Uh, we're going to have to take a break, but let's talk again real soon. Look forward to it. God bless you Thanks, all. Andrew. God bless. Thank you so much we're, for the opportunity. We're going to take Bye a break, now. and when we come back, we're going to come back with DA District Attorney uh, Clark from the Bronx, and she's mad as hell, too, and she says uh, her constituents in the Bronx deserve to be safe. Let's take that break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night show. And on the line with us right now is Darcel Clark. She is the Bronx District Attorney, and she is the first woman to ever hold that office and the first woman of color to serve as a DA in the history of New York State. Welcome to Cats at Night, Darcel Clark. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, uh, Ms. Clark, the, the biggest problem uh, we're having right now in New York City, and people want to come back to work, they need the subways to come back to work, the crime is, is the highest it's ever been, and big companies, even though they're ordering their employees to come back to work, the employees are worried about coming back to work. What do you think we should do? Well, I think that hopefully they will come back to work. We are working every day to continue to make the city safe. We are dedicated and committed to holding those people accountable who are causing these crimes in our communities, in our subways, all over New York City. It is a problem, but it's not something that we can't solve. We've been through things like this before. We will be able to uh, accomplish, you know, getting to the bottom of it and making it successful and safe again. I'm working every day, day and night, 24 hours a day to get that happening. But we need the help of everybody. It's not just the job of the police. It's not just the job of the DAs. It's the job of everybody in the city and every city agency. And that's what I've been advocating for. I care about the violent criminals that are threatening our citizens in New York. Nobody seems to go to jail. Everybody is out within 24 hours. We know we're working on that. The laws were changed, and they were changed for the benefit of those that you exactly talked about, John, the low-level, nonviolent people. Those violent people, we can ask for bail. And I trust me when I tell you, I do it all the time. Sometimes they make the bail. Sometimes they don't. But what we need to do is get to the bottom of why they're creating these crimes in the first place. A lot of them... Um, There are a lot of people that have mental health issues that the city has not paid attention to that. And we need to make sure we get those services so that they don't come into the criminal justice system. Some people are acting violently and and acting out certain ways because they have drug problems and there's not enough treatment and and things to put them in places where they can be in, you know, inpatient, where they're not on the street causing the, 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 the violence, but in getting the treatment. Same thing with the mental health. We need to do that. Right now, Rikers Island is the mental health facility for New York City. And we know that not everybody is going to be eligible to go in there. So if it's not going to be Rikers, we have to have alternatives to that. And that means getting treatment for those people who are the most violent, who are picking up guns and knives and pushing people into the subways and things of that nature. So it has to be a concerted effort of not only law enforcement, but also the agencies in our city that can help the homeless services, mental health, all of those things have to play a role because when those failures happen, the default is NYPD and the DAs. And we should be the last resort and not the first resort. Understood. You know, DA Clark, the police commissioner was on the show with me and, and Lydia, and she said to us that there's 3,000 violent criminals that are in the streets in New York, and if those 3,000 violent criminals... Uh, we're not in the streets in New York. The eight and a half million New Yorkers would be would be a safe place again. What should we do with those three thousand criminals, violent criminals, not the people who stole bread? 
No, I think that we have to continue to um, investigate, build cases against them, prosecute, ask for the bail, get the judges to set the bail, have the courts open so that we could expedite and have these trials done so those people, those violent people that we're talking about, that they're held accountable and that we do it expeditiously. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I ask for each and every day. I was born and raised in the Bronx, and I know the Bronx gets a bad rap, but it's filled with so many, the majority, I would say 99% of the people that live in the Bronx love being in the Bronx. It's made of so many different cultures and backgrounds, and and we just want to be able to walk down the streets and be safe and, and go to school, and it can be that once again. When I tell people I grew up in the Bronx, they're like, oh, I said, no, I had a wonderful upbringing, but we keep hearing about certain gang members getting out after one after the other, I mean, I have to bring up Stephen Mendez, the 17 year old who was freed by that Bronx judge, Justice Samaj Williams. Mm-hmm. What do you have yeah. to say? that She's getting a lot of criticism, that judge. She's been very lenient on, on a couple of cases that have become very high profile. In this case, Mendez, he's accused of a, a shooting somebody at point blank range. He was out on bail already for another robbery. He beat up his mother. What do you have to say about that type of criticism? Well, that, I, I'm on the other end of that. I'm the one that's pushing to retain those cases in criminal court and not have them go to family court because they're committing crimes um, in, in this way that an adult is and that they should be held accountable in that way. That is what I do each and every day. So when the, those decisions are made by that judge, it's after I have you know, argued and pleaded to keep those kind of defendants incarcerated that is causing that kind of violence. But you're absolutely right. The Bronx is a wonderful place to live. I'm a daughter of the Bronx. I've lived here my whole life. And again, you're right. 99% of the people are great. It's that small percentage that's causing the harm. Those are the ones that we have to concentrate on getting them off of the street, not everybody. And I can tell you that I am trying to do that each and every day, along with NYPD. But like I said, other people have to come along and be part of the process to make sure that we hold those individuals, those that are shooting and killing. And we're losing a generation of young people because they're the ones that are carrying the guns now. I mean, we had a case of an 11-year-old killed. The intended target, who was a gang member, was 13. The alleged shooter was 15. And the getaway driver on the scooter was 18. We are losing a generation of our kids. And what we have to do is put resources in the community to tell these kids that there's alternatives to the violence. That's what I want to happen. And that's why I'm doing the prosecution that I have to do. And I'm unapologetic about being a DA that has to prosecute people for doing bad things. But I'm also not going to apologize for making sure that we get the resources in the Bronx that we need because we've always been left behind. And if we get those resources here for those young people, then we don't have to get them into the system in the first place. We give them alternatives to their violence so that they can be productive members of the Bronx, just like all the other people we have. Uh, D.A. Darcel Clark, uh, thank you for all you do. You're one tough lady. We will. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. Thank you, D.A. Darcel Clark, and thank you for being one tough lady. We need more tough ladies like you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both. Take care. Well, that was uh, D.A. Clark, and she's one tough lady, and uh, I think she's realizing that uh, the Bronx is out of control and we got to get the violent criminals off those streets. I think she's tougher now than she was when she came in. Yeah, I think uh, she's had... She was a, a judge before, wasn't yeah, she? She's a Supreme Court justice. She was one of my colleagues. Uh, she went over the, the DA's position. At the beginning, she wasn't this of uh, this perspective, but I think she's looked around, seen the reality of what's going on in the streets, and she's taking and up I the mantle. I understand now we have J.P. Miller on, and uh, he has the Empire Report, NY.com. And uh, JP, uh, what's the hot news of the day? Well, John, thank you for having me on. The top story on EmpireReportNewYork.com right now is just an hour ago, a story popped on the New York Times saying that Mayor Adams is going to name a, quote, gun violence czar as New York shooting persists. Uh, the Adams administration, according to The New York Times, has also considered declaring a state of emergency related to the surge in gun violence, according to internal material reviewed by The New York Times. They JP, don't why don't we just put those people in jail? Well, 
Yeah, JP, it's well, Judge Richard Weimer. What would this state of emergency do? Well, uh, it's, it's it's a good question, and that's kind of uh, as as I'm reading this article, I'm I'm thinking the same thing, which is uh, we kind of know what's worked in the past. What is a gun violence czar going to do, and what is uh, declaring a state of emergency going to do? But um, you know, I think there is growing. Uh, concern in the Adams administration of how things are going to play out this summer in terms of revitalizing the city and in terms of violent crime uh, on the streets. Every day you see uh, new headlines uh, in terms of the violence that's plaguing New York City. JP, this is former Congressman Pete King. How does Azar then cut into the authority of the police commissioner? Does one supersede the other? Do they work together? Or is it a stunt? Well, this... uh, from what I understand is this is just being kind of rolled out now and it doesn't say in the, you know, in the article uh, from the New York times on how they, how it would work with the NYPD. But uh, it seems like mayor Adams is trying to do anything he can to uh, try to stop the violence. JP. And then you have one second, you have the police commissioner, right? Above the police commissioner, you have, uh, you have a deputy mayor for deputy criminal mayor justice. Deputy mayor for criminal Joe justice. Thanks. Yeah. So, and now you're going to have a, a, a gun czar. Where does he go? Uh, <laughs> hard to say where, where, where he's going to go. This is on top of um, the New York State Legislature is poised to pass as many as 10 new uh, gun control measures, including uh, raising the age of buying an AR-15 from age 18 to 21, making bulletproof vests. Uh, illegal, uh, implementing micro-stamping printing on bullets. That illegal, uh, bulletproof York. vests, illegal for criminals or for citizens? <laughs> well, they're, 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 I, I think they're going to make it, uh, you know, restrict them for everybody. And then also they're going to try to strengthen the red flag law, which has unfortunately not caught the most recent uh, mass shooters in both Texas and in in, uh, in New York. JP, again, this is Pete King. And again, let me make it clear up front. I, I support the banning of assault weapons, AR-15s, everything else. But are they going to take away the grandfather clause? I saw that. There. I'm trying to figure that out. I saw something They're going about to try to take away, yes, the, uh, the grandfather clause on the large capacity magazines, which would make those illegal. Right now, I believe they're grandfathered in, uh, but th- that is one of the ten bills that they're that they're likely to pass. That would yeah. involve going to people's homes and taking the weapons. I guess. Uh, yeah. Let me tell uh, everybody what the J.P. Uh, Miller does. That's the Empire Report, NY New York dot uh, com. And you've, everybody's heard of the Drudge Report in Washington that right. has 10 million visitors mm-hmm. uh, in the country. And, well, uh, the Empire Report is for New York City, New York State, and he, and he has almost as many That's as— great. Uh, That's great. So if you want to know what's going on in New York, go to the EmpireReportNY.com. Is that right there, J.P.? That's right. I appreciate it, John. The other big thing coming out of uh, the state legislature is— uh, 421A is lapsing, and you know way more about this topic than I do. Okay. What do you think about the fact they're going to let it lapse? You know what it means? No investment in uh, in real estate. And uh, uh, oh, it's just where's the housing going to come from? No, it's horrible. Well, that's our uh, song. We're ending the show today. Judge Weinberg, uh, Congressman King, thank you. JP, thank you. And my sidekick, get better faster. We need you. <laughs> Uh, Go and, back better. And what does the, this uh, song remind you of? Truth, Truth justice, 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 and the American, American way. way. Thank you, guys, and God bless New York, and God bless America. Thank you, and thank you all. Thank you, John.